This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So here we are. We're faced off with... Technically, 11 against 4. And when you combine the 5 into Voltron, then mm, you're talking about 5, 6, 7. So total 7 robots if you count all 5 combined into Voltron as one robot. But that said, you're still talking also about what I guess could be millions of Gunters contributing to the battle. A shit ton of avatars. A shit ton of avatars. So yeah. So that's kind of where that is. It's it's four on seven and four and, and not equally matched, I might add. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Again, I got to this part of the book and I've started thinking about it, start adding it up. If I was to put money on anything, it definitely would not be the four. Yeah, no, the Vegas odds were not in their favor. No, not so much. But this is the Oasis. Except for Radine. <laughs> but you know what, though? You can have the smallest and that smallest could walk around and touch shit and just turn it into... Rock. You never know. Well, if you prefix all your weapons with God, they got to be pretty darn awesome. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me wonder if these shows weren't just like, you know, we've got, we're going to produce a show like that one over there. Ours is going to be better. And what's better than God? Precise. How's ours going to be different from theirs? Well, it's going to do way more powerful stuff and it's going to use the power of raw, raw moo, <laughs> right? Magical robot. Uh, again with the magic. Kind of ruining it. It does very much feel like a, like a religious battle. It's kind of like, well, what does Zeus do? Well, he's, you know, he's, he's, he does like thunder and lightning, and occasionally he turns into a human to have come down to Earth and have sex with people. How about yours? Well, mine's somebody you can relate to, but he's a real partier. He can turn water into wine, and uh, he can walk on water. He can raise people from the dead. You know, he has really powerful lineage. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like one religion competing against the other and just coming up with, the next best version of a god, right? Only in robot form. It's kind of like layering craziness on top of craziness. Yeah, yeah. And I think raiding is like potentially the epitome of that, with every weapon being god this, god this, god this, god this. Energy cutter. <laughs> Surrounding its god breaker with lightning to make it more powerful. How do you make god breaker more powerful? I... I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that it's meant to break a god. Godbreaker is a sword hidden in the god block. Oh. And the god block is a retractable shield in his right arm. It was later upgraded to be used as a buzzsaw called the god block spin. These sound like moves in a video game. It sounds like a really fucking awesome robot. It really does. Of all of these at the moment, I'm kind of big on Raidine, actually. Probably should have tried to watch some Raidine video. Before the show. Just to, just to see what the action looks like. Maybe we'll do that for the next episode when the battle begins. Maybe what we need to do is we need to line up watching a half hour of each of these robots and put that in a Patreon episode. Because of all the things that we've talked about watching for our Patreon stuff, that seems like the most interesting. 
And I think after watching a half hour for, with each robot, we could come definitely come away from that with an idea of who would win, you know, who's the most powerful, or at least we'd be able to debate it a little bit. So there was some show that I remember watching a long time ago. I think it had Warrior in the title, where they basically had experts talk about these historical warriors, and then they would simulate battles to figure out who was the best warrior. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, it was called Deadliest Warrior. Deadliest Warrior. That's what we need for this. <laughs> I remember watching a few episodes where I think like they'd pit a Viking against a ninja or a samurai. Yes, Vi- Viking versus samurai. Or take the weapons from both of them and then compare it, compare how it was used. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, and that so, they yeah, would, yeah. quote unquote, run a simulation, which is really just like when you saw the screen when they were running it or they would hit enter, it was like Excel. <laughs> right, right. But they, they, yeah, but it was still pretty cool, though. It was because, pretty you know, cool. Like you'd have somebody come in to kind of demonstrate the fighting techniques against a giant slab of beef hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. And to see how it would like cut through that and the, the types of hits and they would like gauge the weapons and the kind of hits that you could do with the weapons. It was pretty freaking awesome. But yeah, that's that's kind of what we're looking at here. The analysis was very good, but I feel like their conclusions were more than 50% of the time flawed. Hmm. I didn't watch it enough to really judge it that deeply. I used to watch it plenty back in the day. Why don't you walk away going, that's not how you do that? Well, no, it's like they present you the, their evidence and they have their experts and then they run their simulation and you have your idea like, oh, it's got to be, you know, Ninja versus Spartan. It's got to be the Spartan or whoever. Right. Then they're like, oh, no, it's the other one that there was no reason to believe they were going to do it. And it's like, why? You know, they had a bunch of these that were just kind of like, no, I don't agree with you at all. Anyway. My point was, we need some experts on all these different robots and do mm-hmm. a Deadliest Warrior type analysis. But back to the yeah, book. back to the book. So Parzival arrives. He does his little flare type arrival where he cuts his engines, lands on one knee, and shakes the ground with his impact. Mm, styling. So, yeah, really styling. And Artemis is like accusing him of showing off and arriving late. That's that's because Artemis is is trying to wave the smoke and dust out of her face of this other robot that's towering five times greater than she is. Sure, yeah. But so then he goes, "It's not my fault." There was there was a long line of the Stargate. Like, yeah, I've heard that line before. <laughs> long line of the Stargate. It was. It was a huge line. Yeah, and you know, for such a big robot, you know, trying not to kill any of the other robots. The thing is, though, if do? there was a line at the Stargate, he's probably bigger than the line. Oh. Well, let me ask you a question. If you had to bring a robot to bear in this battle, what would you bring? Again, my knowledge of these things is so limited that, like, the coolest robot that I know would have been, like, Johnny Five. Yeah, okay, so Johnny Five's not very big. Not very big. You could say he might be uh, human-sized. He was nearly beaten to death by two people in the With second movie. <laughs> With a crowbar, mind you. Yeah, I know. But that's what I'm saying. I'm just trying to explain how limited my robot knowledge is. Let's see. Another robot that I'm familiar with is Jinx from Space Camp. It was about the size of a beach ball. <laughs> wow. So Very small. Very, very small. No, I mean, like, I'm familiar with the Transformers. So, like, Optimus Prime is a robot that I'm familiar with. And 
would know. And other than that, I don't know what other robots I'd pick. I, you know, I like Optimus Prime. As far as size is concerned, we're talking... 10 meters? <sighs> 10 meters is 30 feet. Um, I'm trying to think of how big he is in, you know, human scale. So your average human is six feet tall. Maybe five people tall would be 30. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, sure. Maybe 10, maybe 12 meters tall. Not huge. If I was to choose something, I would choose from Transformers, Metroplex. I'm going to look that up so I know what I'm talking about. Metroplex? Mm-hmm. Metroplex was the Autobot City, and it could transform into a giant fucking robot. 500 meter tall robot. The interesting thing to note is that there are three different companies in Stone's Throw Distance from where I live that have Metroplex in the name. Well, that's just because they're trying to be cool. But Metroplex was the Autobot City that could transform into a giant Omega Supreme robot. Holy shit, look at that motherfucker. I know, 500 meters tall. So we are talking about five times as tall as, well shit, as any of these, really. Any of the biggest ones. Five times taller than Leopardon. So can I change my answer to Mega Maid? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Vacuum the hell out of all you motherfuckers. Uh, I suppose if you remove the ability to breathe, and we're not in a... Uh, yeah, I suppose that you could. <laughs> and Mega Maid is pretty huge. All right, all right, let's fine. If we're going to do this, <laughs> let's just run the stats. We're going to run the fucking stats on Mega Maid. I feel you're, you're pulling it out here. Mega Maid. God bless, that's a great reference. <laughs> the first link that comes up is, how big is Mega Maid's vacuum bag? <laughs> You know some asshole went in here and figured out how big Mega Maid would be. Mega Maid's size. How, how big is Mega Maid's back? Bag? <laughs> okay, so theory idea, how big is Mega Maid? We're going to go to Reddit. R- Reddit because... has all the answers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hmm. Nobody answered the question. Nobody answered that question, and and rightfully so, I believe. Spaceball One has now become Mega Maid. Good, remarkable. Now commence operation Vacuusuck. But you have to figure that if the whatever you call the part of the vacuum that has the rollers in it is big enough to basically mostly cover a planet that we're going to suggest is somewhere in the Earth size. Mm-hmm. That's the, we're not talking meters. We're talking miles. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, that would be huge. And there are bigger, there is bigger out there, but I don't know that bigger would necessarily be useful. Well, it might be. Should you just step on them, I suppose. All right. Mega Maid Spaceballs. Maybe we got to just make it a God vacuum. This doesn't actually... So the Mel Brooks Star Wars parody, the massive starship Spaceballs 1 transforms into its alternate form, that of the giant vacuum cleaner holding Mega Maid. Suck! 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 While this mode is uniquely suitable for sucking the oxygen out of the planet Druidia's atmosphere, and while the giant maid theme does go well with the giant vacuum cleaner, it seems strange to have a maid... The vacuum slash maid combo, the soul transformation. 
Surely, separating the two would have been a better idea, if only so that Mega Maid could hold other objects in her hand. So I found on the SpaceballsWikia.com page... Give me a size. Spaceball 1 is 11 mm-hmm. kilometers in length. Wow. So that's bigger. Right. So p- potentially unfolds out to something bigger. Is that what we're, we're getting at here? Well, 11 kilometers still seems like that's not the right size, given how big Mega Maid is. But <laughs> yeah, there might have been some degree of disproportionate transformation there in comparison to a planet. 11 kilometers is not very big. Well, compared to our robots in this chapter, it is. Well, yes, that's true. Yes, I was just comparing it to the size of a planet. If size is of any value in this fight, I'm going Mega Maid. Okay, fair enough. You may have your sword. I got my fucking vacuum cleaner. Uh, yeah, I, look, all right. It, first off, mine doesn't have swords. It has really large fucking guns. It's the size of a city. A city is larger than 11 kilometers. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Although, granted, it says it transforms into a transformer as tall as 500 meters, which is nothing in kilometers, but... It might, one might say it's half a kilometer. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, moving on. So they throw down their robots. The robots are all hanging out, and H is wondering how the GSS servers can handle so many avatars in one place. Mm-hmm. And Artemis notes that there doesn't seem to be any lag at all with the GSS servers. So... This is actually a question I have for you because you know a lot more about this kind of stuff than I do. Okay. In Chapter 5, we learned about the fault-tolerant server array that gave the Oasis the ability to kind of pull processing power from all the machines connected to it. Mm -hmm. And I think it even cited that the initial launch could use the Oasis with no discernible latency, no lag, no crash. Right. So if you put these millions of avatars in one sector, you would suspect that there would be a lag on the system. But if they're all there and all those computers and the consoles are borrowing their processing data, would that by itself help with this, like in this kind of concept of the fault tolerant server array? And what would that would it yeah, work? Would it work? Is it possible? Right. Uh, okay. So. What we're really talking about is the more people that are online, the more resources that are available. So every person's console contributes to the processing power of the larger network. If you're not doing anything crazy processor intensive, then you're contributing the rest of the resources of your system to other people's whose processing requirements are greater than what their console can handle. So you're distributing all of these resources to the nearest resources by you, right? If we compare this to, let's say, Eve. Eve is a good example. In Eve, you know, you could have 100, 200,000 people online at a given time. And what's important to you, what makes your stuff run relatively fast, is that you might be around 20, 30 other ships. Your computer has to receive every second an update as to where these ships are. Sort of a blip in space, if you will. And then your computer takes that information and says, we're going to draw a picture of this kind of ship here and this kind of ship here and this kind of ship here. And whenever any of those ships does anything, that information has to be communicated across and your computer's got to draw that. The problem we run into is that, and often happens in EVE, 
is that if you go to a place where there's a battle with tens of thousands of people flying ships in and firing, shit starts to slow down. And part of that is because the chunks of information coming at you are so large because, again, we've got to feed your computer where everyone is and what they're doing and what you then it's drawn as to what you should be seeing, right? And that has to keep coming at you because everyone's position's changing. It's a lot of information. Shit slows down. It's not that the servers you're connected to are necessarily slowing down, although they might because they're basically having to communicate out to, let's say, 30,000 people where 30,000 people are. So it's, it's heavy on the server you're connected to, and it's heavy on your computer because your computer has to take that, translate it, and draw it. Let's flip that over and say that processing power is distributed. So there is no central system that's delivering this information out. And, you know, you're borrowing the processing of others. If you have 5 million people online, it doesn't matter because you have 5 million processors at your disposal and their distribution of power is going to be readily available to everyone who needs it. And on top of that, we might also be talking about a different kind of technology, which is that you're viewing streaming video as it's happening. And thus, you're not actually getting coordinates for everybody that you see, and then your computer's drawing it out. You're just watching a streaming video, and that's it. And the processing part of this has to do with processing out the video itself, which is not a big deal. And, and maybe the part of the processing is the interaction of the data in the background to create the video, to put you into that perspective or in that place where that video is occurring. But again, maybe that's pulling on. Everybody's kind of contributing to that build. So the more people there are online, the more processing resources there are, whether or not they're all in one place or distributed across multiple places probably doesn't matter. Are you saying it's possible or not? <laughs> I'm saying it's totally possible. But the fact that they mention it here means that maybe they've experienced it before. So here's where I would say there might be a difference. And it might be in how good your connection is to the Oasis. And they are sitting in the top of the line rigs that Aug has provided them. And they probably have a really high speed, you know, root connection to the Oasis. So to wrap up, it's not only possible, but based on how the check technology is described, I mean, you could come at it from a number of angles and go, yeah, that, that seems reasonable. That makes sense. And the fact that Aug might have a really clear connection, a really open connection to the Oasis might also help in this situation. Okay. It it just, they make such a big point of it in the text that it just made me kind of wonder if most of the Oasis seemingly is there, mm -hmm. that there wouldn't necessarily be enough people that are not using all their resources that everybody needs all the resources. Well, you know, they, they talked something about 5 million. You could have 5 million in a oh, given area. Well, that was area. when it first launched. Right, right. But uh, when you think about how many people are in the world, uh, we're looking at, we're going on 8 billion, 7.5 billion. I think we're creeping towards up to 9 billion, something along in very high billions. So if, if a large number of people are pitching in on this, we might not be talking about 5 million. We might be talking about 50 million. Yeah. You know, you, you could have a lot of gunters at this event. And not even scratch the surface for the number of people that are in the Oasis. So maybe there is a bit of a surprise there because they do talk about, you know, gunters as far as the eye can see shoulder to shoulder, just, you know, in the air, like a like a like flying through a cloud, almost a haze of, of metal machinery. 
I don't know exactly say that. That's how I imagine it, though. But you could have you could have tens of millions of people in this sort of singular instance in this one place. I could see how it might slow shit down. Yeah, but I could also see in a world where 10 zettabytes is no big deal. <laughs> when the author brings that kind of technology up, it's almost kind of like we got to talk about a large amount of data, but we have to do it in a way that we can relate to and yet also is really big. Things like that kind of strike me as, you know, when you start to calculate it out, you go, wow, that's really fucking huge. But you're like, well, yeah, but in 25 years, maybe it's not. Or maybe they were just looking for a way to communicate a lot of freaking data. Mm. And this was the, oh, well, 10 zettabytes, because that would be a lot of freaking data. It's a lot of fucking data. It's a lot of Dropbox accounts. 10 gigabytes. <laughs> what? Oh, that's that's not big anymore. 10 zettabytes. <laughs> they make the point or Parzal makes the point that given the num- the number of Gunters that are out there, the Sixers look like they wouldn't be able to handle it. They're unmatched. Normally, the Sixer army would have appeared formidable, but so many Gunters out there, they're fucked. They get swarmed and swamped. Absolutely. Now it just comes down to, all right, let's get that shield down. And, and keep in mind, the only thing between IOI's formidable robots and pretty much the mass destruction of gunters in the millions is our four heroes that's it because if they weren't there if it was just parzival standing up on a rock holding a stereo above his head going let's do this yeah uh no this wouldn't work <laughs> yeah that's one of those things where all mechagodzilla would have to do is just walk around and just stomp on them all it'd be like anakin at, at the daycare Really? Oh, <laughs> too soon. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, just basically mowing them down uh, is what would end up happening. So even with, let's say, umpteen millions, you know, it all it would be is just harvesting, really. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring that back. So we do get a little reference here. Mm hmm. When Shoto asked Parzo about the shields, it's like, it's going to be really kind of embarrassing if that shit don't go down. And then H says, And we'll have that shield down. We've got to give him more time. And of course, that is from Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Han Solo's planet side, and he's, his goal with the Ewoks is to destroy the shield that's protecting the Death Star in space. That was kind of a cool quote. I missed it the first time. 30th time around until you pointed it out. Really? Yeah, I totally missed that. Like, I was so into the book in the moment that that quote just flew right past me. So, like, the whole idea of where he says Han will have that shield down didn't strike you as odd, given that Parzival's name is not Han Solo? You know what? If I'd read the book, yes, I would have stopped and went, ah, I know what that's from. But I'm listening to it. Ah, yeah. It's the... Will Wheaton just flies right past it, and we just kept on going. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, I'm excited to get that shield down and get this shit going. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me about getting excited for, like, the actual battle to start. So now they get a chance to see Sorrento, and he comes out of Castle Anorak. They're all like, oh, shit. I think Artemis says, I have a bad feeling about this, which reminds me of another Star Wars quote mm-hmm. when they're in the garbage thing. Right. Han Solo says, I have a bad feeling about this. I got a bad feeling about this. Right. 
They're in the garbage compactor. So that's two Star Wars quotes in a row. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's what necessarily that he was going for, but that's what it reminded me of. Oh, no, I'm sure that's what he was going for. Like, you know, it, they, they were popping out Star Wars references between them. That totally makes sense. Okay. That's the kind of shit me and my friends would, would do at work. You know, if one person comes up with a Star Wars reference that fits the situation, somebody else is going to do the same. So I thought that was kind of clever. Again, totally missed that the first and 50th time I read it or, or listened to it for that matter. Yeah, tell me about it. But yeah, they come striding out and that's when they toss down their toys and then that shit blows up and, and we have the big reveal of the robots that we've already talked about. You know, Voltron, Neogenesis, Evangelion, uh, Robotech Mechas, and uh, Mechagodzilla. A formidable team of robots. Not just formidable, they're outnumbered by three. Assuming, yeah. assuming that five of them take the form of Voltron, which they would not necessarily have to do. What was interesting to me at this part, when they were talking about Sorrento exiting Castle Anorak, and then the ten other guys, or girls, coming out of Castle Anorak and following Sorrento, mm-hmm. was that now there's ten other people besides Sorrento that have crossed the threshold into Castle Anorak. Mm-hmm. Now, we know from when Parzival was an indentured servant and watching the video, the screen caps of the attempts to open the third gate, that he was the only one that was in Castle Anorak. We know that the surviving members of the High Five believe that it's going to take at least three keys to open the gate. Right. So how close were the Sixers to actually finally figuring out how to open the gate? Not close at all, because either you've opened it or you haven't opened it. It's a it's a bit like flipping a coin, you know, and, and you flip it 19 times in a row and it's heads. And that's asking how close are you to flipping heads 20 times? 50-50. In my head, I'm thinking that part of the reason why they were so stuck on it before was that it was Sorrento's hubris. It was him wanting to be the one who opened it. And so he was the only one who crossed the threshold into Castle Anorak. But now there's 10 other people in there with them. And at some point, you got to think that, well, while they're here, is there anything that we can all do together? Well, the gate that we're talking about is in the castle. Yeah. So, so they were in the castle. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, and there was just a video of him kind of going over multiple options for opening the gate, just him. But there could have been other people in the castle, just not with him at the gate. Get it? I, yeah, I hear you. They're, they're having tea in the kitchen. That's and, true. you know, he's in the other room trying to figure out the gate. I don't know. Something like that. They're going through his underwear drawer. Sure. Looking for hints. That was something that stuck out to me, hearing that the other ones followed him out of the castle. And I was like, huh, there were other people in the castle. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the gate isn't the gate, isn't the front door. The gate's not the front door, but I guess that's true. We don't really know how far it is from the threshold of the castle to the gate. Right. I think the problem is, is that you've got 11 people walking towards you. And the presumption is that this is his posse, right? This is his elite group of IOI peeps, his fighters, if you will. And it's him and 10 others. And that's 11. That's 11 against their four. So they have every right to say, I've got a bad feeling about this because they're horribly outnumbered. To say the least. Yeah. It doesn't matter, does it? Because the shield's still up. Shield's still up. What the fuck are we going to do about that shield? 
They throw the robots down. They get really big. The crowd goes <gasps> and steps back a little bit. But the shield's still up, so it's not like anything can really happen. This is the other thing that kind of makes me kind of scratch my head a little bit. If they are so confident in the Orb of Ozivox and that shield's staying up, why bother go through all that posturing to scare people away? Oh, you mean as far as... uh Turning into Mechagodzilla and turning into Voltron and all these other robots. Like, why bother? If you think the shield's impenetrable, then just go about your business. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Aside from the fact that it makes for fairly good writing and sure. reading, right? Um, dick waving. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody comes to your front door and they're waving their dicks around. And you bring your posse <laughs> with you and pull out your dicks. You might okay. not do anything about it, but it's kind of like, we got them too, kids. And we got more of them on our side. It's demoralizing, potentially. Just the sheer number of them standing there would make it look like the four that are there have no chance, even if the shield wasn't there. It might actually scare some of the Gunters into leaving or not fighting. You know, this could be a mental tactic. That's the only thing that I can kind of pull out of it, is that maybe it was just a mental tactic to demoralize them and be like, we're going to look pretty stupid when that shield don't go down, huh? Yeah, if the shield doesn't go down, what you're really doing is you're fighting hope. And you can ruin their hope by saying, we've got our own. We've got 11. They've got four. You thought four was going to kick ass? We've got 11. So go home. Yeah. This isn't going to go anywhere. It's not going to go anywhere anyhow. But even if it was, you'd be fucked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a, like a mental weapon. So if their plan was to scare everybody into getting the hell out of there, it certainly worked for many avatars. But. Our heroes all stand their ground, and they are basically waiting for the rest of the plan to unfold. And this is where we get to the part where the plan does unfold over the course of many paragraphs. Many, many paragraphs. This was my favorite part. Like, this this is the part I could imagine happening, where, you know, you have a row of similar-looking Johnny Fives. You have that, that music playing in the background as the robot you know are kind of wheeling around and this one comes off of the the pad that it's charging rolling around with its three little mechanical fingers kind of hanging out there and it's bypassing all of these you know bombs and rifles people running past it and it goes into the back room and disappears for a second and then it comes around the corner with this giant fucking bomb in its arms just you know with the eyes aglow and the little eyebrow metal the metal flap eyebrows just kind of lifting up or whatever and it's just kind of rolling along innocently like I just got this thing <laughs> that totally happened this is just the funniest part to me because it, I loved Johnny Five I loved that movie so much when Parzival says, due to a lack of imagination on the part of the supply droids original designer, they all look like Johnny Five. Right. What? Why is that a lack of imagination? I think that's awesome. I don't know. Like, I loved it. I, I agree. I thought that was freaking awesome, actually. I don't I don't know how that's a... Uh, I don't know how that's a, a lack I mean, of imagination. I, unless he wanted to see more variety. But yeah. I thought it was perfect. Again, Short Circuit was one of my fave movies, so that's that was just perfect. Just fucking perfect. Isn't it what made you get into electronics and stuff? It was. When I saw that movie, I hopped out of the theater, and I wanted so very badly to build robots. 
that I came home and took apart a remote controlled G.I. Joe tank, took the top off. I built like this, you know, not cardboard, but, you know, it, the, kind of, the kind of wood that has the peg holes in it. Yeah. Sawed that to make it look kind of like a Johnny 5, which it looked nothing like a Johnny 5. Got LEDs and a 9-volt battery and just kind of wired that shit together. At the end of the day, I realized that the, the main problem here was that it was hot glued flaps of wood on top of a little tank tread with lights on a battery. Didn't have a personality. Like that, that dream of, you know, maybe I could give it personality, you know, kind of like a human-esque personality was sort of dashed by the end of my primitive electronic experience there. Uh, but I was just so unsatisfied that ever since then, I've kind of been looking for that way to find something kind of like that that has its own personality. And only recently have I found anything even close. Did you by any chance accidentally build a circuit board that would create a bubble that would take you to an alien planet? No. Just let, let alone an alien spaceship with a bunch of teenage aliens that ended up ruining that ended up ruining the movie. So uh, no, that didn't fucking happen. But thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs> thanks. Just when you finally forgot about that movie. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to put that behind me and you just brought that shit right back up. Fucking disaster of a movie. So loved Short Circuit, the first one, not so much the second one. And, and I just imagined this happening. Like this, this was that one point where I could actually imagine what the robot looked like because all these other robots, like uh, Mechagodzilla, I, I had a fuzzy idea as to what that looked like. Everything else, I didn't have a clue. Like it described it a little bit, but I really just, I just imagined a bunch of robots with swords. This last part of this chapter was again, it's just so descriptive that I can play the video of it in my head. I can see Johnny Five doing exactly what he's talking about, coming off of the the charging dock and grabbing one of the antimatter friction induction bomb and, you know, going up the ramps and getting up there and holding it above its head. Like I can just picture that so vividly because the, the writing just feels so rich with, you know, what it's doing, where it's going, what it's passing by and the looks that it might be getting from Sixers. It was just so nicely done. And then it kind of just ends and the, it explodes. I love this description, an antimatter friction induction bomb. Let's break that down really fast. What it's saying is, is that it induces friction in matter via antimatter, which is kind of like a microwave almost. It's like the last <laughs> thing you want to be doing to yourself. Yeah, for all the molecules in your body to have friction induced within them, and then it just, you just explode on site. Sounds like a good bomb. Yeah, sounds like a fantastic bomb. But uh, yeah, just love that. It rolls out to the uppermost level. Here's the part that I thought was interesting. And I didn't realize this again until we reviewed this more deeply. You know, in that first interaction, Parzival says it, he, his comeback is, is something along the lines of, oh, we'll be in there at noon, right? Yeah. What does he say specifically? He says, no, Sorrento, we're coming in, all of us, at noon, or something like that. Now, that being the case, if I was Sorrento, I would immediately be tipped off by the fact that something's going to happen. Exactly. And my first thought would be, we need to tighten down security like the fuck now. Because he, by this point, probably already knows that's, that somebody escaped, that someone was on the inside, right? Yeah. And he's just kind of like, whatever. 
And Parzival's yeah. saying, no, we're going to come in at noon. And it's not like they have like another artifact in their hand. Right. That might be the, the key in, so to speak. You know, my thing would be, I want you to double check all automated systems. You know? Yeah. You know, I want every person to double check and evaluate anything moving in and out of this place. I mean, yeah. a robot carrying a giant freaking bomb that could destroy everything or destroy a lot of stuff, let's face it. Yeah, like that that would be kind of a big red flag. You'd think if everyone was notified, you've got to be on high alert. You know, there has been somebody on the inside. There has been sabotage. Double check everything. That's not what happens here. No, it's, it's just plain old, you know, cockiness. Yeah. So if it's cockiness on both sides, right? Because, you know, Parzal really should have just said, yeah, we just came to say hi. We're going to hang out here for a little while, buddy. Or like, we're going to find a way in this shield and you'll see. <laughs> Hold your fist up in the air. We're coming in. <laughs> as soon as we're we n- figure out how. Yeah. To me, that was a bad tell on Parzival's part. And, yeah. But also a failure on Sorrento's part for not maybe thinking that he should be taking more precautions. Yeah. I thought that was kind of goofy. Like, that was awfully kind of arrogant to say, at noon, you'll see. <laughs> you know, it's going it to look kind of like, again, it's, it's, it's arrogant dick waving. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's been a lot of dick in this episode. There's a lot of dick in this episode. But let's face it, there's a lot of big robots here. Yeah. Big robots require big dicks. I, 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 I guess. I, I, I think, how about big egos require robots that are being waved like dicks? Maybe. So we go through this big, long explanation as to how this plan played out, how it actually worked, and the orb of Ozovox is deactivated, and that's the way the chapter ends. But yeah. this is this is all Parzival's guess. He doesn't know. This is his guess. So what if it didn't actually turn out that way? <laughs> what if twelve o'clock rolls over to twelve o one, and then twelve o two? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, what I'm asking really is, what if somebody realized? That that supply droid was bringing a bomb over to the wizard holding the Orb of Ozuvox, and then said, hey, you, get rid of this thing. And then that, that sixer says, yes, sir, immediately, sir. And then th- that person happens to be a sympathetic sixer who realized that this was part of some other plan or whatever. But they say, you know what? Fuck that shit. And then they go walk over to the to the wizard and let the bomb explode. Okay, so you're saying like if the story was slightly adjusted, but the hero wasn't the people on the outside. The hero was some turncoat sixer that that saw this go through and was kind of like, we're just going to let this unfold. Yeah, like you know, like Parzival kind of imagines the ideal situation where you know it goes up, people may see it, but they don't think anything of it, and if they did, it was too late. But Sometimes plans don't work out so perfectly. Oh, I get what you're saying, because Parzival is just imagining how this is unfolding. Yeah. You know, but what if the reality was that the robot broke down with the bomb in its hand? Some sixer, some hapless sixer came along, like a janitor sixer. Well, that's not fair to janitors. But um, Bob, the less than educated sixer, says, <laughs> oh, dude, uh, where was this going? Oh, you're going to deliver this to the top? Dude, let me give you a hand. He just grabs the bomb and then calls over. 
you know, Toby, Toby, come over here and help me, man. This thing is just hugely heavy. What is this? I have no idea. But uh, this little robot was supposed to deliver it to the top, so it's got to be important. Or what if one of the treads got stuck on one of the pallets? And Yeah, Bob and Toby are like lugging this bomb, and no one's questioning Bob or Toby. Or no, somebody does question Bob and Toby are like, well, that robot was going to deliver to the top, so it's got to be like high priority. One of the generals is like, all right, fucking go. You know, just don't fuck it up, guys. And then they just lug that shit up to the top and, you know, it ends up exploding. Yeah. So all I'm saying is I would love to see a fanfic that shows an alternate, but perhaps the what really happened. Right. The heroes are really Toby and Bob. Yeah. The, uh, hapless, low-level Sixers that aren't even allowed to touch the giant mechs because they might screw something up. And they're, ju- they're just trying to do their best job possible. I could see the fanfic being written such that, you know, you only know the Sixers by their, their Sixer ID number. And then at the end of the story, you find out that, that one of them is IROC and the other is Pendergast. <laughs> you know, like something silly. Right, right. No, I totally get you. Yeah, they're, they're kind of brought into the fold and turned into a generic into a generic avatar, but it's, it's them coming through and kind of fucking shit up. But yeah, I could see that. That would be fun fanfic to read is, is the, the, the back part, you know, the, the back alley shit that happens in this story. So, eh, eh, challenge for anybody out there who is a writer that might enjoy tackling something like this. That would be kind of interesting to read. But I get you. So, yeah, what we are left with then is the explosion, presumably vaporizing the supply droid, along with all the avatars stationed on the platform including the Sixer Wizard who is operating the Orb of Osivox. And at the moment he dies, the artifact deactivates and falls into the now-empty platform. End scene. End scene. And ends this chapter. And the interesting thing about this is that it doesn't end with saying that it happened like it, that, that it actually exploded. Like, we're not... The end of the chapter isn't that it exploded. It's him saying, and I imagine it unfolded like this, which is a great lead-in to the next chapter. When every when all the shit actually happens, I know it may be pretty cliche, but the next chapter is just the fucking balls. All right, have we wrapped up this chapter? It's yeah, another five I, pages that's rolled into three hours, right? Yeah, I know, right? I I don't <laughs> think there's any tinfoil hat stuff for this chapter. It's very straightforward. It's very raw. The quotes and references are very direct. It's just uh, it's funny because it's it's another transition. It's it's another fucking transport chapter, dude. Yeah, it's an A to B. It's another A to B. I mean, it's a great A to B, but it's it's an A to B nonetheless. He goes from his rock to the planet. <laughs> yeah. And then imagines how his plan unfolds. That's about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. All right, let's wrap it up then. This is uh, This is probably one of my favorite lead-in chapters. One of my favorite teaser chapters. This is the this is the foreplay. This yeah. is the foreplay, really. This is the point where, and we say this a lot, you are not going back to bed. You are finishing the book. Yeah. Yeah. If you uh if you tweaked a nipple while reading this chapter, that's how I felt. <laughs> wow. It's a little bit of foreplay going into this because you know what's coming next. The main event, the big meal, you mm. know. You know, the hardcore romp, the robot romp. (laughs) (laughs) Are you done? I'm done. All right, we'll wrap it up. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. 
and we will see you in chapter 35 when the romping begins. Take care. Who doesn't like a good romping? A little robot bumping. Bow, chicka, chicka, bow, wow. I'm glad we didn't let that devolve into uh, into into the robot sex stuff. Yeah, thank God that we did not do robot sex. Yeah, yeah, because there are videos of that. We have, we've had enough people screwing robots in this book. Oh, yeah, we have, haven't we? We have. <sighs> Tweaking a nipple. <laughs> <laughs>